at a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, May 10th, 2023 edition, and the stock market continues to behave in a in an erratic manner, I, I guess you could call it. Uh, we haven't really done much over the past, call it five, six weeks in the markets, uh, if you're looking at price levels, uh, but Individual companies obviously have moved. We're in the midst of earnings season. Economic data continues to come in very mixed. And it's not surprising to see the movement in markets be uh, mixed as well. And, uh, you know, looking forward, where you have to take some lessons uh, from the past couple of years, right? Uh, a lot has, has shifted, a lot has changed. And, it's it's about applying a strategy that will work uh, in this market, even a, even a choppy market. You know, we're that's kind of what we're what we're in, uh, and we've been in for a while, not just the past five six weeks, but really the last year. Obviously, with a much wider trading range than the last month, but uh, it's, it hasn't really gone much, gone anywhere. But it doesn't mean you can't make money because underneath the broad indices, there's always underlying trends. And it's your job as an investor to take advantage of those underlying trends. Trends, And it's our job here to help you decipher where those trends lie, not just for the next week or month, but multiple years and, and hopefully decades. Because that's where, where, where the real money lies. It's not guessing that next move in the market. It's Okay, being in the right asset classes, the right parts of the market that are going to really thrive. So I'm Justin Klein, and I'm here today on on today's radio show and podcast to help you make the most of your portfolio strategies and helping you make good, consistent decisions with your money, whether that's on the personal finance front or the investing front. So... I enjoy this Invest Talk podcast because I love hearing your finance investment questions. Hearing what's on your mind, that's ultimately what's most important in giving you my straight and unbiased answer. No hidden agenda, just here to help you learn a few things about markets, risks, and rewards, the many variables that affect your potential investment data set. And of course, it's about having the right mindset, weeding out emotions as much as possible. Fear and greed are natural parts of the human experience. But ultimately, they are counterintuitive to those good decision making. So I'm here 
ready to answer your questions at 888-99-CHART. So I've got a lot of material to cover for you today. One is in regards to the commercial real estate market. And is that the next shoe to drop? And how will that impact broad earnings? There's a lot of empty office space now, the most since 2008. And how will that feed through to the broader economy? And will it create, you know, ultimately uh, some next leg down in uh, the overall economy? Because we've seen the economy slow. But what is, and that's mainly because of higher interest rates, slower residential real estate transactions and slower demand for physical goods. But that's kind of all into the market. So the question is, what is the next catalyst? So we're going to look at that. And then time permitting, I have some other topics on the docket. One is in regards to corporate profit margins. We are in the midst of earnings season. And earnings season is showing that margins are getting a bit better. Could that be a tailwind for stocks? We're going to look at that. And then we're going to look at market timing. We're going to look at uh, some data there. And I think that will be uh, fun to, to look at. And then also oil. Big oil has about $150 billion in cash. And they... Need something to do with it. Now, they could obviously invest in growing their output, or they could return cash to shareholders, either through buybacks or dividends. So we're going to look at what they are thinking. Okay. So that's on the, what's on the docket for me, but ultimately, I want to know what's on your mind. We're going to get some voice bank questions. One is in regards to treasuries, as well as Zion Bank Corp. And then iTunes review questions as well. So I have this all planned for this episode of Invest Talk. And of course, we're going to take your live calls at 888.99 chart. Now let's take a look at the market today. It was a modest update. The broad market was up about 0.44%. Mid caps lagged the most, only up about 0.1% overall. Small caps up about three quarters of 1%. And we started the morning week and rallied throughout the uh, the close. You had some gainers like LegalZoom, uh, Celsius Holdings. Uh, let's see what else. Yeah, those are the the, the, the big ones. Compass, Upstart, uh, after being down a lot. And then you had a lot of financial companies lagging. Jackson Financial, they're in the annuity space. That was down about 16%. Icon, Carl Icon Enterprises, limited partnership, that down about 15% as well. And what else was down? Twilio, down about 12.5%. So interesting mix of, of gainers and losers, and you're going to get that in the in a time where uh, you have earnings coming out, right? Earnings season. So that was the market today, continuing this choppy period, waiting for that next catalyst is that Better liquidity going forward due to a Fed that has officially paused and the market is now pricing in rate cuts by September, which is very interesting. September, that's only three and a half months away. Pretty interesting. Now we're going into a quick break. 
Please remember that you can call anytime and leave your question on the Invest Talk Voice Bank. Or if you're listening via our live stream, you can, or, or on AM 1220 in the Bay Area, you can call right now at 888 chart When listener questions are played on the Invest Talk podcast, how do you guys determine a value stock? The caller voices are amplified many thousands of times. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan and BAC. How do you see this uh, looking forward? I'm 25 years old and have a question about retirement funds. And the unbiased answers from Justin Klein. That's why it's trading so cheap because there's a lot of regulatory risk. Here. And Steve Peasley. I, I kind of like it here. If I was going to buy Tyson Foods, this is where I'd buy it. Benefit the entire Invest Talk community. Thank you for what you guys do. That's why 24 7, rain or shine, no matter how simple or how complex, your questions make a difference. Symbol BKE, what's your outlook? And Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. So don't forget to call 888 99CHART. The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced? Or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief risk alize quiz. Right, let's go to Carl in Oceanside looking at Palantir. Yes, um... Apparently, they have earnings the first time, and about two days ago, they had the breakout on the chart. I'm wondering if this, uh, if I like to buy it. Well, it broke out from its high back in mid-May, but that's really not a major breakout, to be honest with you. Uh, its last major top was back in February, right around these levels, around $10 per share. So it to me, this, this has not broken out technically. It just moved higher over a short period of time. It did this, in fact, in February, right? It had earnings, and it was trading around 760 then. It broke out for three days, which is very common. And, and, and when you have big news events, like a, an earnings announcement, which is the most common major news, news event, it usually takes three days for the market to settle out. And back then, it rallied for three days. And the third day, in technical terms, it put in a topping tail where it had a huge wick candle. And it basically topped then, <clears throat> right around $10. And then subsequently over the next month, fell all the way back down to where it was pre-earnings, right around 250 or 750 or so, and hung around that level until this recent earnings announcement, and it's doing the exact same thing. So it's not breaking out. It's reacting the exact same way it did in February. Now, could it break out from here? Sure. But what's telling me this is going to break out? Nothing. Right? You're still at nine and a half times price to sales ratio going forward. Revenue is up 18%. That's nice. But still, forward-looking earnings, talking about $0.24 cents per share next year on a $10 stock. It's 50 times. 50 times forward-looking earnings. 
Simple answer is no. Hasn't broken out. It's not cheap. I see nothing about the business that is telling me that this is super cheap. Uh, something to watch. But no. This is just reacting like it did in February. Thanks for the call. Now, my focus point looks into the story behind this headline. Will commercial real estate be the next shoe to drop? And we all know that the pandemic intensified the, the trend to work from home. And while many people have returned to office, more than half of Americans now work from home, either some or every single day. Now, a lot of people are Tuesday through Thursday and gone Monday through Friday, right? Still working from home. And that's a different environment for commercial real estate. And the companies that operate in downtown areas, in commercial office districts. It's been rough for those businesses. Think of restaurants, maybe shoe repair companies, right? If you're repairing shoes for workers, right? Heels, loafers who are maybe in sales, walking around the big city, just traveling a lot. And they're not doing that anymore, right? They're sitting at a desk, usually at their house, doing Zoom calls or using whatever video conference uh, software they're, 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 they're using. And climbing interest rates and tightening lending standards are also pushing companies to reassess how much office space they really need once their leases come up. Now, the typical building has about half, a number, half as number, the number of people as it did pre-pandemic. So naturally, companies need half as much space. About one-fifth of office space across the country is sitting empty. That's higher than the 08 financial crisis. So you're obviously going to see defaults and foreclosures. And there's about $1.2 trillion in loans on commercial real estate. Uh, that's outstanding. So this is going to weigh, continue to weigh on that, uh, that, that industry, but not just... Not just the banks that hold a lot of those loans, but the broader that that broader industry. Uh, now it's going to be different between parts of the real estate market. Uh, and if you look at Real Capital Analytics, their transaction volume for all commercial real estate property dropped fifty six percent in the first quarter of this year compared to last year, and annual price growth was negative at about eight percent. Hotels, for con uh, for contrast, they had the same decline in volume, about 55%, but price growth was still positive, about 4.3%. So not all commercial real estate is created equal. Industrial still remains relatively strong. And hotels are holding up better because of a few reasons. Uh, Post-pandemic travel, right, leisure travel, Limited hotel supply. A lot of those hotels were turned into emergency housing. That happened. Uh, so understand the difference within the commercial real estate market. Now we're heading into a break, so give me a call at 888-99-CHART. 
Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve or Justin, this is William from Kentucky. Calling about the banking sector, I think, uh, Steve, I heard you talking to a uh, call-in. Someone talked about maybe uh, is this a good time to get in. I'm looking at uh, Zion Bank Corp, symbol D-I-O-N. Got a PE about four. There's been some strong insider buying. Their forecast for profitability growth of 4.6 over the next three years. It's paying a dividend of 8.23, although uh, and they say it's sustainable. That's not the reason I'd buy it. I'd be just trying to buy it for appreciation. So if you could look at that, see if there's anything you see that as why I shouldn't buy it at this price, I think it looks really good. Thank you. Love the show. Well, I think it's uh, very easy. What is underneath the surface of their balance sheet? We know from this recent experience that the earnings that are reported are not are are, are, are have to be taken with a grain of salt. Let's just say that, right? Because they're not reporting the the losses of the long duration assets that are sitting on their balance sheet. Now, I haven't looked particularly at Zion itself, but you know there are some losses there, and in many cases, it's wiped out their, their equity. Now, how stable is their deposit base, though? That's the big question. Right? It doesn't matter if you have losses that you're holding to maturity, and eventually those losses over time will turn to profit because you know they once they, they do hit maturity. But you have to have a stable deposit base if you're a bank in order to not have to be forced to sell those assets like Silicon Valley Bank and the others have. So that's the question that I've said this really since the beginning. I don't find these small and medium-sized banks to be a good risk versus reward. Look what happened to First Republic recently. And there very well could be another shoe to drop. Maybe it's Zion. Maybe it's another one. If they can't hold on to their deposits, it's over for them. And once again, I don't know how well, how stable their deposit base is, how diversified their 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 uh, deposit base is. Uh, that's what you have to look at, and you have to be very confident that that deposit base is not going anywhere. So I wouldn't be looking earnings. I wouldn't be looking at dividend yield. I would only be looking at the stability of their deposit base. That's really the only thing that matters at this point for these small and medium-sized banks. Because the earnings are not very revealing. They all have major losses underneath the surface. So I'm passing on Zion Bank unless I have very, very good confidence in that deposit base and, and frankly i haven't looked at it personally all right now let's talk a little bit about profit margins and so far we are more than halfway through the first quarter earnings season and net profit margins for s p 500 companies ticked up a bit to 11.5 percent from 11.3 percent in the fourth quarter now this would be the first increase after six straight quarters of declines in profit margins. Now, that's coming off record highs in the second quarter of 2021 of 13% profit margins. 
And really since then, companies have been battling higher input costs such as labor, materials, energy prices, and obviously borrowing costs, right? Their interest payments have gone up. And cor corporate earnings historically have been the biggest driver of equity market gains. And so far, the current earnings season is a bit better than expected. About 70% of S&P 500 companies have reported and overall looks like to be about a 2.9% decline year over year. But that's much better than analysts' expectations of a 6.7% decline at the beginning of the quarter. Or sorry, beginning, at the end of the quarter, end of the first quarter. So basically going into earnings season. That's a pretty big improvement, right? Analysts expecting 6.7% decline and we're coming in a little bit under three. And you continue to get companies that are laying off workers and trying to improve their margins. 3M, last week, they said they would cut 6,000 more jobs on top of the 2,500 spots they, they, they uh, announced in January. And they reported a 25% decline in earnings. So that's the number one thing that causes layoffs is companies seeing earnings decline. It's the quickest way to improve that. Saying, let's get rid of workers we don't really need. Tyson Foods, they said they're going to eliminate 15% of its senior leadership positions and 10% of its corporate roles. Why? Because they're under pressure and dealing with higher costs down the chain, right? Those lower, lower paid workers are now costing a bit more. And so their margins are being squeezed. Now, earnings among S&P 500 companies have dropped 30% on average during the past 10 recessions. And we all know we're probably maybe in one now going into a, a modest one in the back half of the year. Now, if you exclude 08, in the 2001 recession, profits typically fall about 20, or about 19%. Okay. And analysts expect profits to fall again in the current quarter before rebounding in uh, the second half for a full year projected increase about 1.2%. I still think you'll probably have negative for the full year, but very modestly so. All right. Now we're heading into a break, so give me a call at 888 chart Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think 
in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Now, the next InvestTalk, the story behind this question. Does it pay to diversify by style, meaning value versus growth? U.S. equity exposure can be broadly segmented by market capitalization, small, mid, large, as well as style. That story tomorrow, but for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888 chart Now, let's keep things moving and go back to the Best Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier on 888 chart Hello. Thank you for your podcast. I have found it educational helpful over the years. I prefer lower-risk investments. Uh, most of my investments in fixed income, but a large part of this being in treasuries, mostly short-term, three to one year. Because of the debt ceiling, I'm concerned that I have too much exposure in treasuries if I should be selling some of my treasuries. Any help or guidance will be helpful. Thank you. Well, if you are relatively conservative, right, treasuries are pretty much the most conservative investment you can make now that they're not without risk you've seen that with the the commercial banks uh, you are still subject to duration risk right there's no credit risk you're not going to not get your money back but you are obviously going to be uh, subject to a duration risk if you go out too far now you're talking about three to three to twelve months that's not long duration that's it's Pretty, it's very short duration, so uh, I don't think you are having a lot there. Now, long-term, long-term, treasuries are unlikely to be the best investment. It's usually going to be equities. And then in the bond space, there's likely to be better returns in things like corporate bonds. Now, both of those have a lot more volatility. But in an era where, you know, we have a lot of debt and you go back in history and you say, what's the, what happened the last time we had 130 plus percent debt to equity, or debt to GDP ratio as a country? Well, that was post-World War II. What did we do? We did something akin to what Japan's done for a while now, which is yield curve control, right? Paying rates at low levels so that we can inflate our way out of the debt. And that's likely the path forward for the Fed. Now, are they executing that today? No, they're not. But I do think they will eventually get there. So right now, are treasuries a good risk versus reward? Probably, right? Short-term treasuries. 
yield curves right around, you know, in the mid fives uh, in the short term, call it one month. Then we go all the way down to about 5% going out one year. And so you're getting pretty decent yield right now, but that's not always going to stay. Remember, you're not locking in that for multiple years. I could easily see a year from now where your three-month treasury is yielding 2 or 3% if the Fed fully pivots to rate cuts. And then, you know, is that very attractive? No, no, it's not. So longer term, you're going to want to yield that keeps up with inflation. And so when we go back to, you know, Fed funds rates probably closer to two or three, it's probably not going to keep up with long-term inflation. So that's where you want to take a little more risk, probably credit risk. High-grade corporates, still pretty conservative, not as conservative as treasuries. So that would be that next step up in risk that I would probably take with some of your portfolio when treasuries are no longer yielding you know, five, five and a half percent. So that would be my number one advice if you want to stay more on the conservative side. Thanks for the call. Now let's make it two in a row here on Invest Talk with a call that came in earlier from New York. Hello, this is Duncan from New York. Thank you for all that you do. My question is on the stock Lifetime Group Holdings. Ticker symbol is LTH. I actually work for this company and they are doing an ES program, an employee stock program that I'm kind of interested in. Uh, I'll get like a 10% discount. I just wanted to know your two thoughts about the company itself. I know that they just recently went public again. They're obviously trying to get some buy-in within the employees, but I think Lifetime is kind of like a growth stock, correct? Like we're, we're having trouble trying to be profitable. So if I'm going to hold the stock for long term, hopefully after when the interest rates will slowly either pause or slightly decrease, would the stock be a good hold for the long term? And I'm also I'm not sure if I'm going to be with the company for long, probably another year or two. So thank you very much and have a great day. Bye. All right, this is Lifetime Holdings Group. I'm actually a Lifetime member myself. It's my gym. Um, and it's a nice gym, very nice, kind of high-end and definitely expensive, more than your 24-hour fitness, for example. But and their business certainly struggled during the pandemic. They lost a bunch of money, and, and they're finally clawing, clawing back to profitability the last three quarters, have now turned positive after many quarters being negative. And I wouldn't really hold that against them, right? They were just operating in a very tough environment for gyms. But you're starting to more normalize. Now, earnings next year are supposed to be about $0.50, cents, trading about $20 per share. You know, it, it would be a growth name. Uh, revenues last quarter up 30% year over year. And... You know, I think that's that's fine. If you're if you're buying, uh, if you're if you're working for the company, you're getting a discount on, on the shares. I don't necessarily think they're cheap right now. Um, but would you, do you want to really tie up a lot into it when you're going to be leaving soon? You know, I don't know the process of you know uh, unraveling that money that you're going to put in it might be too much of a headache. I would definitely look into that. Right? What is the cost or headache to to get out of it if you're only going to be there for a year. So, um, I, I would I would definitely look at that because a lot of times they are, ESOPs are, not exactly the most liquid thing. They take take a while 
um, to, to get out of. And sometimes you can only get out certain parts of the year. Uh, so maybe that's more of a headache for you. It's fine company. It's definitely not cheap. And there's not a lot of history here, right? The, you only have data going back to 2018. So the last five or six years or so. And, but, but it's a, it's a, it's a good, good product. I will say that. Uh, but I wouldn't be getting into this really, if you are going to leave soon, let's just say that. All right. Now let's touch a bit on oil companies and oil and gas companies have built up a ton of cash over the past couple of years and wall street doesn't think that they should spend it on a whole lot. And they don't think so either. Now, a lot of them are promising to return money to shareholders. And last year, that made them the best performing assets in the market, best performing sectors in the market. But now you have uncertain economic outlooks weighing on oil prices. And so far, energy has been the worst performer so far this year. But the cash continues to flow in. They're still very profitable. Now, they used to look at chasing speculative drilling investments to grow their output. But to appease Wall Street, they're boosting dividends, they're repurchasing shares. And if you look at the six largest companies, uh, Italy's Eni, France's Total, UK Shell, BP, Chevron, and Exxon, the six largest they reported $160 billion in cash and cash equivalents on their balance sheet at the end of the first quarter. Chevron and Exxon themselves have $48.3 billion, up $1 billion from the beginning of the year. But they all know that the good times don't really last. And investors are starting to favor, more, favor that discipline. And executives are increasingly compensated based on shareholder returns. And so I think this is a good sign longer term. I'm a huge fan of understanding incentives. And for many years, the incentives for these shareholders was to grow volume, not profitability. You know, Elon's the same thing, right? Elon's incentives for Tesla have always been price of Tesla shares, not profitability, not earnings. So what did he do? He did things to try to boost the shares. Always look at incentives. Now, in June 2020, Chevron and Exxon devoted more cash to capital expenditures than shareholder returns for at least 28 straight quarters. So putting more of their cash into CapEx versus dividends and buybacks. But their ratio has been the opposite every quarter since. And they paid out $14.8 billion in dividends and buybacks in the first three months of this year alone compared to $8.4 billion in CapEx. Now, other U.S. companies, ConocoPhillips and 48 smaller publicly traded oil and gas companies, they put 42% of their cash back to shareholder returns, dividends and buybacks. CapEx investment comprised only 35% of the use of cash. That's down from 67% in the first quarter of 2022. Now, a lot of companies have paid off debt that they 
accumulated during the era where they were just about growth. And so the balance sheets of these companies are much, much better. They're also putting money into things like carbon capture, clean energy investments as well. And a lot of that has been because of the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, as well as you know climate legislation. Now, large companies like Exxon have also explored acquisitions, looking at independent and privately held drillers uh, to grow their outputs. So that's something that they're looking at. So not necessarily putting new CapEx for growth, but just buying these smaller names that aren't on public markets. <clears throat> no, Exxon dwarfed other U.S. companies in the first quarter with $32.7 billion in cash on hand. That's up $3 billion from the end of last year. And then yields on their cash have improved as well, obviously investing in things like treasuries. So pretty interesting to see where they're at and understand the new dynamics within that industry. And I think they're a lot better than they have been in the past. So I wouldn't put too much stock into what you're seeing over the near term and focus more on the longer term incentives within the industry, which are definitely better for shareholders. Now, Steve and I have been telling you for a while that we are in this new market regime. Cycles shift, cycles change. Cycles are a constant part of the economy of our lives. There's nothing more constant than change. And we are in that midst, in the midst of that change. So serious investors need to adjust their strategies to fit these times. And with that said, only you can decide to make the required commitment. And if you need advice on how to make that commitment, well, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve. Just ask us for help. And how you do that is by taking advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meeting. Very easy. All you have to do is send a message through investtalk.com or give our office a call at 800-557-5461. And after speaking as to for a short period of time, we can help get your portfolio uh, on track for what is uh, a new environment foremost, uh, a difficult environment, a choppy environment, but one that isn't without its opportunities. They're still out there. It may not be as readily apparent, right? This isn't late 2020, early 2021, where you threw a dart at anything and it went up. And I know a lot of people got involved in the market, right, post-pandemic, and it felt easy. It felt good. Well, that was a very thin slice of time where capital was being filled at the market uh, hand over fist. Well, we're in a new environment. So the sooner you reach out, the sooner you contact us, the sooner we can help get your portfolio optimized. Now, this is Invest Talk. We have now surpassed 52.5 million downloads. And Steve and I thank you for that. Next up, I'll tackle another caller question, so hang on. In today's world, a variety of factors are affecting the stock markets. Serious investors know building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why now, more than ever, 
When it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need InvestTalk. InvestTalk is a free download, 24-7, rain or shine. The InvestTalk listener line is open and waiting for your questions. 888-99-CHART. Hello, this is Joseph from Indiana. Just was wanting to get your thoughts. It's been a really strong stock for some years, and I want to know your thoughts, if it would be smart to maybe invest in this for the next five to 10 years. It's Churchill Downs, CHDN. It's done really well. has a good moat in that industry. Just want to get your thoughts on that. Thanks a lot. All right, Churchill Downs in the gaming industry, online wagering, racing company, obviously the most well-known name in horse racing. And with the growth of online gambling, I could definitely see this uh, benefiting, right? Uh, I wagering, uh, and it continues to to grow revenues. Last quarter at 54%, earnings up 66%. So yeah, I, I would say it's a growth name. But it's, even after this recent run, I would say it's reasonably priced. Um, so if you're looking for a growth your name and a, a play on the gambling uh, growth trend, I think this is a, a pretty good name. Churchill Downs. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here each and every weekday to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So if you're going to call, you want to do that right now at 888-99-CHART. Every Invest Talk podcast is made better by your questions. So don't forget to call. And if you've never called, Justin and Steve are waiting now for your finance and investment questions. Invest Talk, 888 99 Chart. Dr. Bill in Northern California looking at Blackstone. Hey, Justin. Yeah, um, just, you know, your opinion overall on the company. I, I bought some, uh, my first shares I bought like a year and a half ago when I was a lot higher. I hold on to them. And I kind of averaged down, and I have some from like 130 down to, I think I bought some in December for about, what was it, like 77 or something. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, it was a long-term hold dividend, and it looks like a really pretty big, healthy company. So your overall appraisal for you know long term hold in terms of growth and such? Yeah, I I, I think this is a terrible uh, long term bet. Um, this is Blackstone. They're very large, uh, but they're focused a lot on private equity, right? Global alternative asset management. Well, what is private equity? It's leverage bet, right? Uh, it's it's done really well in an era post financial crisis where the cost of capital was very low and 23% of their business is private equity. 39% is real estate. 28% is credit insurance and then 10% is hedge fund solutions. So they're somewhat diversified, but this has been a downtrend ever since interest rates started going up. And the economy started to slow. So this is very high beta to the, to, the, to the market. And they're highly leveraged. And their investments are highly leveraged. So not just their, biz, their business themselves, uh, right? Their business itself is, is highly leveraged. But they're, what they're investing in is as well. So this is leverage on leverage. And the technicals are terrible. And it continues in a downtrend. 
right? Revenues down 73% last quarter, 73%. Earnings down 93%. I, I would not own this. I would move on. Thanks for the call. Let's touch on what is called the return gap or investor gap. And last year, it was really a disaster for most mutual fund investors, not only because the market was down, but because they fared even worse than the broad indices. Why is that? Well, it's because they tend to buy high and they sell low. Now, a mutual fund stated return looks at the average returns of the stocks and bonds or assets over a certain period within that fund. But that's assuming investors put money in and leave it alone. But because investors tend to move in and out of investments, typically at the wrong time, they don't experience that return. And so that gap is known as return gap or the investor gap. What investors return on average are actually experiencing in the fund is better captured by what is called asset weighted returns, right? Measuring the return when based on the amount of assets that are in the fund, more or less. And so when investors actually do the most harm to the portfolios by trying to time the, time the market is during volatile times and when there's down markets. During volatile market years, investors lose more than an extra percentage point in return average compared to the fund's benchmark. And the smaller or the more risky the asset class, the worse they do in down markets, typically. For small cap equities, the average return gap in down years is 1.19%. And the average return gap in up years is 0.76%. So there's always a return gap, but just depends on what type of market they're in. What's interesting based on these findings though, is that fixed income, emerging markets and value equities, turns out the return gap is worse than up years. So in down years, and I think that's typically because of down years, those type of uh, assets don't do as bad. So they don't um, maybe sell. <laughs> at the worst time, but they also don't have as much upside. And so, you know, they maybe trade out of those assets into other more speculative ones. I'm not sure. But what you have to understand is that <clears throat> in more volatile times, typically in those down markets, you tend to make the worst decisions. So don't be one of those. Don't use that emotion. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well, and join our Invest Talk community by following Invest Talk on social media. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. 
Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial.